From the New York Times, TikTok just lost a huge catalog of music. What happened? From Music Business Worldwide, 78% of small to mid-sized businesses in the U.S. currently misuse personal streaming accounts to play music to their customers. It's costing the music industry $1.38 billion every year. And another from the New York Times, USC Annenberg's report on women's gains in the music industry. And it is Grammy week. It is raining in California. Jay and I are ready to hit the button right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, it is good to see you and good to hear from your good friends, several of them over there up in Colorado. So I know you were up there this week. What a fun trip that must have been. I love going out to Colorado. Um, my daughter lives there and she made me dinner, which was really cool. Um, but I got to do a couple of guest lectures at Colorado State uh, with Chuck Morris and Eric Griffin and those great students out there. Um, I've done this before and it's just a joy to go out there. And I, I think I learn uh, more from the students than they do from me. Um, and then on the way back, I got to meet up with uh, uh, Storm Glore uh, over at UC Denver. They have an amazing uh, music program there and got to meet some of the uh, the fine folks there. It was a it was a beautiful week. Well, and it's really interesting. You know, I remember when I was in college back in the last century. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I had a tremendous interest in music and in the business of music. They're just, you know, maybe you could go to Berkeley. You know, maybe you could go to down to Miami. You know, there are a handful of schools that yeah. had not 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 music for like teaching uh, teaching to be a music teacher or learning to be a music teacher but like learning about the business of music and now they are so around the world it's fascinating yeah. and very very cool yeah it's uh it's amazing um because it's a complex business sort of by design you know when you're talking about publishing and masters and you know all of these different things it's it really takes an expert to sort of, um, you know, simplify these things and explain them and how they got to be where they are. Cause it's a little nutty. 
It it is a little nutty, but it, you know, and it's it's for for decades. It, it was always kind of the the stepchild to the movie business. Like, ooh, the movie business was so glamorous, and but you know, music was so profitable, still is still so profitable, and uh, it's really kind of come into its own. I think just sort of in the in the popular culture understanding of the business. Yes. Yeah. It's it's changed, which is really good. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. Had a really good time in uh, in Colorado. Um, you and I were talking before we hit record that we both um, sort of watched the same documentary without really talking about it, um, and that is the greatest night in pop, uh, which is on uh, Netflix. Sort of the uh, making of We Are the World. Oh, it was great. If you haven't seen it, 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 uh, three thumbs up, as we say, it is really <laughs> great. Super well done. And you know, you realize what, what, and I, it feels like I knew that at the time, but this, it was all done in a night and yeah. they did it around the AMAs, the American Music Awards, yep. uh, because they knew everybody was going to be in town. And so the pressure was on and oh, yeah. it talks about that. And it really gives you a, an appreciation of, first of all, Quincy Jones for just roping everybody in and controlling that recording session. And of course, Lionel Richie, who was hosting the AMAs, he was writing the song. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Really fascinating. Yeah. They went all all night and all and you night. see and the uh, sort of how the sausage was made and uh, you and I sort of agreed that the highlight was just Michael Jackson before everybody got yes. there just kind of standing at the mic singing a couple of lines without any type of effects or anything and just to hear that you know raw clean recording of just his voice uh, it was amazing I mean what a what a talent yeah, and they had a lot of the folks that were participating in it, talking about it, and what it was like that night, and man, oh man. And you know, you forget, uh, listen, artists are people, and you know, when you get into a room like that with people you admire, even if you're a, a very successful artist, you know, they were all nervous, and they were kind of looking around, and it was tense. Yeah. And well, they're fans too, right? You know, there and they're fans too. Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Diana Ross, Willie Nelson, Tina Turner, I mean, the Stevie Wonder clips were absolutely uh, oh, joyful. Man. But my favorite part was when they were talking about uh, th- there was a sign that Quincy Jones put up that just said, mm-hmm. check your ego at the door. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Highly recommend. But again, yes, and that's a, that was a tough group. And of course, you know, and you it, they, they, they show the digital clock uh, as, as the evening is wearing through. And you forget, you know, first of all, they were already, everyone there was already at the AMAs earlier in the evening. Mm-hmm. So now it's four in the morning and, you know, people get a little afraid at that hour. And it's, it was interesting to see that. And yeah. it was lovely. It's a great documentary. We're yeah. very well, very well worth watching. Yeah. The other thing I want to give a shout out to was, and um, we can call this the Your Morning Coffee Book Club, is I just finished that book, uh, Living the Beatles Legend, The Untold Story of Mal Evans. And if you don't yeah. know who Mal Evans is, most of the, uh, you know, Beatle freaks know him because he was you know, seen with them, you know, basically throughout their entire career. But he was, you know, sort of hired as a road manager, roadie, but he did so much more than that. And he ended up participating in recordings and, you know, he helped, uh, you know, produce and arrange Badfinger. And there was just so much that he had done. But this is amazing because he kept records and he kept a diary of everything that was happening when the Beatles were taking off. And it's just a really great insight uh, into that time and that era. And it was a really good read. 
Oh yeah, I I can hardly wait to jump into it as well. Because again, if you like you said, if you're a Beatles freak, you certainly knew of him, uh, and he in fact had had hoped to write a write a a, a doc, or not a documentary, excuse me, write a, a book about his yeah. his uh, history with the Beatles, and so they 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 had all the all the ledgers and things that he had written, and uh, it's a miracle it came out. To be honest, yeah, so it's so much it better well. than I could have even imagined. Um, before we jump into the stories. Um, a couple of things. One is, you know, you and I have talked about Garrett Levin, you know, who was sort of the, Mm -hmm. uh, the head of DEMA, um, uh, the digital media association. And, you know, he stepped down to move to, uh, Europe and he was replaced by Graham Davies. And I had a chance to, uh, get on a call with, uh, Graham this last week. And, uh, you know, um, it was really great. We, we talked about music. He's a music freak, just like we are. So I think he's going to do really well in this position. And for those that don't know, the Digital Media Association represents Amazon, Apple Music, Feed FM, Pandora, Spotify, and YouTube. So hopefully we can get uh, Graham on the show at some point. But uh, I think that Dima is in uh, really good hands. Oh, that's excellent. Look forward to meeting him because we sure liked uh, hanging out with with Garrett. And yeah. uh, it sounds like this man is a, a similar cut from the same cloth, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah. And then um, finally, again, before we jump into the stories, just the last thing is um, you and I have been talking about this company called So Far Sounds. And you may remember them from doing intimate and secret shows and the, the pandemic almost put them under, but there was a really great piece in Variety a while back talking about how they survived that. Um, but I had a conversation um, with their CEO, um, Jim Lucchese, uh, this last week. And it's, it's super interesting, uh, the story of, uh, of So Far Sounds and some of the things that they're doing to help uh, artists market their music today in addition to these live shows. So let's listen into that quick conversation with Jim. Jim, thanks so much for joining me today. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. So let's talk about So Far Sounds. Uh, so Far began in the world of intimate concerts, secret concerts, but tell us about how the company has evolved really post-pandemic. Sure. So um, I've been a part of So Far for five years, and So Far has been around for close to 15. Uh, what attracted me to So Far... Uh, was the quality of the gig for a number of artists that were friends, our friends of mine that were playing shows. And that was my first experience with so far. And what I saw when going to a show was a listening room, a room that is focused on hearing that artist and that artist's story um, on real connection uh, in an intimate space. Um and that's incredibly powerful for touring artists. And so for, for someone, you know, who who recognizes that these artists are uh, the majority of the revenue that they're making is is live and on the road. Um, I looked at so far and saw not only an amazing fan experience um, that was happening in 400 cities around the world built by this you know, grassroots community, but an opportunity to look at so far as an artist services company and uh, help artists develop their fan base locally, um, help them when they're just getting in a van for the first time, and then ultimately building uh, additional artist services to help artists as they as they grow. 
Um, and part of that was the acquisition of Seated in uh, about three years ago. And mm -hmm. so with the acquisition of Seated, that really accelerated our overall artist services offerings. So today, you know, we're a global concerts business that uh, that works with tens of thousands of artists putting on intimate shows in about 400 cities around the world uh, and an artist services company where through Seated, we give artists tools to sell tickets to their other shows, sell merch, um, and create VIP experiences for their top fans. In all cases where they control their fan data, um, whether that's uh, the text information about their fan base or their email addresses, we believe that artists growing their fan base absolutely need to own uh, the fan data. And on the art services side, we work from artists who are just getting out on the road to artists that are playing to thousands and tens of, tens of thousands of people. Well, talk about artist services a little bit, especially some of the innovations that you've launched um, that we've been reading about, like fan rewards and, and VIP services. Yeah, so really, you know, through the acquisition of Seated, um, really helping artists first uh, control and own their fan relationship, as you know, and you, you covered in many, many places. Uh, you know, historically, the the music business has been about intermediaries who bring audiences to artists, but often that means for the artists, they don't have a direct relationship with their top fans. Um, and what what we're doing with, with fan rewards and VIP is giving artists tech to capture um, that information about their top fans, but then reward them, reward them with early access to uh, pre-sale ticketing, reward them with meet and greets, virtual uh, experiences, merch bundles, and other ways to both reward your top fans uh, and then also make more money from, from your super fans, always in a way where you, the artists, control that relationship. Yeah. Jim, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Great stuff. Doing great stuff. Gotta love it. And you, yeah. of course, were a huge uh, proponent of living room shows. And yeah. the, you were the first person I ever heard that was doing that. You were on that early. Yeah, I did it for, well, a long time. I was going to New York one time and I was reading the paper on the plane. And I remember reading a story about, um, it was someone from, I believe, now that I think about it, the Smithereens, I think it was uh, Pat Denizio from the Smithereens, mm -hmm. was doing like house concerts, like he would play at someone's house. And so I got together with my friend, uh, Gail George, we, we know a lot of artists, and we started doing them at my house. And we got some amazing artists that would yes. agree to do this. I mean, uh, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears, uh, Jason Faulkner um, did it. I mean, it's amazing. Chris Collinwood from Fountains of Wayne, Lisa Loeb. I mean, the list goes on and on. We we started them in two thousand and I think two thousand and eleven. No, actually, I think it was 2001. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We've done dozens of these things, and they're just a joy to do. And that's living concerts, house concerts, whatever you want to call them. You know, we had a couple in the backyard, that sort of thing. And now I've got friends that are doing them too. And, and I tell you, if you go to one of those shows, it's different than going to a bar. Nobody's clinking drinks or mm -hmm. talking or smoking or whatever. Everybody is so focused on the artist and typically they'll play a set, you know, sell some merch, say hi to people and then play another set. 
But some of my favorite shows were those uh, intimate house concerts. Very cool. And of course, we're lucky to be in Southern California where many of these artists live. And so uh, it's just a neat thing, man. It's it's good on you for doing that. Really cool. Lots of fun. Well, let's thank our sponsors, Jay, as we get into the show, including uh, our good friends over at Banzoogle. For over 20 years, Banzoogle has made it easy to build a stunning website and online store for your music. Now they've added a brand new EPK plan so that musicians can create a professional single-page electronic press kit in minutes. All the features you need to design an EPK are already built in, including fully customizable templates, preset EPK page layouts, music players, images, text bio, and video embeds, a gig calendar and press quotes, and access to Banzoogle's award-winning support team seven days a week. The new EPK plan starts at just $6.95 a month, and your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to Banzoogle.com to try it for free for 30 days. Then use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEEPK, all one word, to get 10% off the first year of the new EPK plan subscription. That is Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEEPK when you sign up to the EPK plan. Yeah, and a special thank you to HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha, Bands in Town. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yeah, and I'm getting excited about the Music Biz Conference that's coming up. Uh, we'd like to thank mm-hmm. the Music Business Association, the puts on the Music Biz Conference, and it really creates the rooms in which important conversations that shape the future of our industry take place. Representing more than 90% of the industry at large, the association serves as a connective tissue for the global music uh, business and provides a trusted forum where ideas and collaboration can flourish. Join us for the Music Business Conference, uh, Music Biz 2024, May 13th through the 16th in Nashville. And I was just notified that uh, I'll be moderating a panel. So I'm really oh, looking fun. forward to it. Excellent. Well, big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. Boy, Jay and I do not take that for granted, and we really appreciate their support. Speaking of Jay Gilbert, who is Jay Gilbert, you may ask? And I say, how do you not know who Jay Gilbert is? But in case this is your first time listening, Jay is a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups. <laughs> Just a nice guy. Ah, oh, thank you. And uh, one of my favorite people on the planet sitting right across from me, Mike Etchart, is longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. And, and Mike, you and I were talking about, you know, one of our favorite newsletters um, is uh, The Ledger by uh, mm-hmm. Glenn Peoples over at Billboard. And uh, the, the article that, that accompanied it, um, there was a headline that said, layoffs, licensing, and more, five things to watch for in upcoming uh, earnings reports. And those, I won't go through all of this, but I'll tell you the five things. And I'd, I'd love to get, uh, I know you have some thoughts on this too. Um, so things to watch out for in these upcoming earnings reports, because uh, it's that time of year. One, the scope of layoffs. Two, uh, troubles at TikTok. 
Three, how much uh, price increases have mattered. Uh, four, the state of the advertising business. And five, the mission to reach super fans. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and Glenn, in, in his kind of lead in mentioned one thing that really caught my eye. And he said, you know, investors have different expectations of c- public companies these days, more focus on margins, less obsession with growth. Mm. And, you know, we talked about the whole layoff thing last week and how sad that is. But, you know, again, it, what's tragic is that stock prices go up. When these large companies lay off people, and it's just heartbreaking. But, it really uh, is. Another great piece from Glenn, and again, I we so appreciate his observations and insights because, as you've mentioned, man, he's on the calls. He he knows what's going on inside these companies and in the business at large. Yeah, that's right. And it really is, you know, uh, earnings call season. You know, um, there's calls coming up this week with. Um, you know, Spotify, Reservoir, mm-hmm. Warner, and I think Universal is in February end, or late February. Month, yeah, um, we're in February, <clears throat> but February. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's super cool that we have somebody like that who's on these calls and then can sort of break them down and tell us what matters. And sometimes with a little bit of humor in there mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a lot of times with a lot of humor in there. So <laughs> love that. Well, let's jump into the story. This has been a big week, Jay, because this is from the New York Times. TikTok just lost a huge catalog of music. What happened? Uh, Universal Music Group, the biggest of the three major conglomerates, pulled songs by Taylor Swift, Drake, and other stars after failing to agree on a new contract. Here's what it's at stake. Wow. You know, this piece was written by Ben uh, Cesario. Um, He says that TikTok users woke up Thursday and discovered that many videos using songs, you know, with stars like you mentioned, Taylor Swift, Lana Del Rey, Drake, Ariana Grande, uh, they'd all gone silent. And uh, after a public brawl between TikTok and Universal Music Group, which, as you mentioned, is the world's largest music company, this has been the story of last week. Oh, yeah. It was a startling turn of events for the app's creators and users, as well as for the music business, where heated negotiations over copyright permissions and royalty terms sometimes boil over into public view, but rarely reach what one industry uh, publication called the nuclear option. The full-scale removal of content from one of music's biggest and most influential online outlets. So here's a look at what happened and why and some thoughts about what may come next. Right. So the first one, why did Universal Music leave TikTok? Okay, last week on Tuesday, Universal Music, you know, the global giant that we talk about, um, that releases music by hundreds of major artists, published a forceful open letter uh, to TikTok um, because the uh, contract was ending, right? Their annual contract. Um, so Universal said that TikTok, which is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance, had not adequately addressed Universal's concerns over AI-generated music on the platform, and that it would not agree to what Universal considered a satisfactory royalty rate. Quote, ultimately, TikTok is trying to build a music-based business without paying fair value for that music. Right. So Universal noted that its existing deal with TikTok was set to expire on Wednesday, and the label said it would revoke its licenses, the legal permissions to use its music, if an agreement was not reached. The deadline came and went, and TikTok confirmed early Thursday that it had begun removing access to Universal's vast catalog 
of songs. Oh my gosh. So which artists were involved? Uh, Universal is the biggest of the three majors, right? The, the others are Sony Music, Warner Music. Um, and they have deals with thousands of music stars to release their music. Besides Taylor Swift, Drake, its label's biggest names include Olivia Rodrigo, uh, Morgan Wallen, Nicki Minaj, Billie Eilish, Noah Kahan, Post Malone, and Lord. Plus, it deals with K-pop giants like Stray Kids and New Jeans. So Universal has been aggressive in defending its artists' rights and pursuing the best deals it can get. Last year, the company sued Triller, another social media app, saying it had not paid licensing fees. And recently, CEO Lucian Grange has been outspoken about the need for controls and industry standards regarding the use of artificial intelligence in music. That's right. So how will these takedowns work? When the music industry has had issues in the past with streaming outlets like Spotify, it's had the ability, theoretically anyway, um, it's always so complicated, to simply yank its content. That is what happened when Warner Music fought with YouTube for nine months in 2008 and 2009. Remember that? I do remember that. But TikTok is different. On the app, as you know, users upload their own video clips and can draw from an audio library, much of it supplied by labels like Universal, to add background songs. Artists and record labels also add their own content. So to comply with Universal's withdrawals, TikTok removed the company's songs from its music library, which made those songs unavailable for new clips. Yeah, I've seen some of those on the platform, and they're just silenced. The The yeah, person right. is still there, but the, there's no music. For older videos that already had music from Universal in them, TikTok uh, on Thursday began, quote-unquote, muting the clips deleting the audio entirely, leaving silent videos. Uh, That is what happened with videos from celebrities like uh, Kylie Jenner and Dwayne Johnson, AKA the rock, as well as, you know, on countless others, many included explanatory notes like this sound isn't available. (laughs) No, it's not Uh, on the official profile pages for artists like Taylor Swift. The sections that usually carry dozens of songs for users to feature went largely blank and in some cases, brief snippets or, uh, or user-generated mixes remain, though. Uh, the process of removal is expected to take at least several days. A TikTok representative on Thursday uh, did not say how many videos would be affected by Universal's withdrawal, but it could conceivably be millions. Oh, my God. So you might ask, why is this happening? Uh, in some ways, this is an example of a conflict that has played out repeatedly in the media business, Uh, Over the last couple of decades in which the innovations of tech companies, and we talk about this, and sometimes the creativity of uh, rule-skirting users (laughs) has run up against the music industry's demands for control and fair compensation. This tension has been a driving force in the music industry from Napster and YouTube to Pandora and now TikTok. Right. So Universal's concerns are real and reflect some of the most urgent challenges in the music business today. Artists need to make a decent living. The parameters of modern licensing contracts, the role of artificial intelligence. And in recent years, music companies have begun to adjust to the reality that music fans' attention is not solely focused on jukebox-type streaming outlets like Spotify or Apple Music, but also on an array of social platforms like TikTok, where music may be just one attraction. That is a tongue twister. Jukebox 
type. Um, for TikTok, as well as, you know, uh, any social media company, the issue may involve how much leverage it's willing to relinquish to any single content partner. Um, as Universal Music is on TikTok, in the past, the company has said music is at the heart of the TikTok experience. It does not represent the entirety of the experience on the app. As any TikTok user knows, a song could simply be the audio wallpaper for a makeup tutorial or a plumbing how-to guide. Hmm. Right. But so how might this affect musicians? This is a key consideration for Universal, which says it's pursuing a better deal for its acts. At the same time, the longer the dispute drags on, or the more it may hurt artists, at least in the short term. TikTok is a vital promotional outlet, and a new generation of young fans now rely on the app to discover music old and new. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, some of the most vital uh, moments in music in recent years really happened on TikTok, you know, from the explosion of Lil Nas X's Old Town Road and Olivia Rodrigo's Driver's License. Uh, and you'll remember that revival of Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, right? Right? Yes, so for yes. many artists today, being absent from TikTok would be like Madonna having a video disappear from MTV in the 80s. That's a good analogy. Um, at the same time, though, artists are keenly aware of the need to, to, to secure better deals for their music and of the low rates they face across the streaming landscape. Talk to an artist for two minutes about the business and they will tell you they should make more money from streaming. They just do not want to sacrifice promotion or their connection to fans in the process. Yeah, there's that balance, right? So what happens now? Well, we wait to see who blinks. And you and I were sort of uh, guessing before we hit record, we were, like who mm -hmm. is gonna blink first? I think I know who's gonna blink first, but Universal's roster of stars gives it leverage, right? The losing access to a library of thousands of the world's most popular songs, like Taylor Swift. That's not good for TikTok. Apps with a music component rely on their licensing agreements with entertainment companies, and users expect to have that broad selection. You said the word leverage, Jay, and exactly. That is what this is all about. And as these disputes always are, it's about who's got the bigger lever, who can really use that leverage to their benefit. So here's an, another interesting kind of uh, another article. This is uh, from Bruce Houghton over at Hypot. TikTok accuses UMG of greed above the interests of artists. This is their response to UMG's announcement that it will pull all of its music off the popular platform after the two could just not reach a new licensing agreement. Yeah, and as Bruce points out, TikTok said in a statement, Quote, it is sad and disappointing that Universal Music Group has put their own greed above the interests of their artists and songwriters, end quote. Despite Universal's false narrative and rhetoric, they go on, the fact that uh, they have chosen to walk away from the powerful support of a platform with well over a billion users that serves a free promotional and discovery vehicle for their talent. Wait, TikTok has been able to reach artist-first agreements with every other label and publisher, but clearly Universal's self-serving actions are not in the behest, not are not in the best interests of artists, songwriters, and fans. These are all from that uh, yeah. TikTok response. And boy, I, I, if I were TikTok, I don't think I would have said that. Uh, or, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, look, uh, not in front of the kids. Let's let's settle this thing and move past. So, you know, the bottom line is, and you and I are very uh, large proponents of making sure that songwriters and artists are paid fairly uh, for their art. 
and we're making slow inroads there with a copyright royalty mm-hmm. board and some of these increases and some of these things. But, um, you know, if you're going to build a business on the back of, uh, you know, the music industry, then you need to pay a, a fair price. And we'll just leave it at that and see how this rolls out. Yes. Um, the second story um, was from Music Business Worldwide. Long, long uh, title. So, you know, you may want to go get a cup of coffee. 78% <laughs> of small to mid-sized businesses in the U.S. currently misuse personal streaming accounts to play music to their customers. It's costing the music industry $1.38 billion per year. Yeah. So in the following article from Music Business Worldwide, Ola Sars, who's the founder and CEO and chairman of B2B music streaming service Soundtrack Your Brand, writes about what he says is the rampant misuse of music in business and commercial settings. According to SARS, more than two-thirds of U.S. businesses engage in unauthorized use of consumer services to play music, resulting in a three times loss in value to the music industry. Right. And, I mean, it comes back to that, you know, paying artists and songwriters and everyone fairly. If you're going to use music in your business, let's say you Mm -hmm. run a restaurant or a bar or something, um, you should pay for that. So the the kind of sub headline here is what happened in Vegas can't stay there. I thought that was very well written by our snarky friends over at Music Business Worldwide. When the historic Venetian came under new management by Apollo Private Equity, all eyes were on the investment in the hotel's experience. The biggest news came in November, however, when Apollo was hit with a $264 million lawsuit for illegally streaming songs via YouTube at its high-end karaoke uh, lounge. It is this lack of investment in the music rights and artist ownership that now plagues the Vegas icon. This high-profile case is driving industry attention to massive, unlicensed misuse of music in businesses and commercial spaces. And this is only the beginning. The problem is much larger than one recognizable nightclub skirting the rules, as nearly 78% of the 3.8 million small to mid-sized businesses in the U.S. alone are misusing music. Wow. As many venues, like consumers, see the ease of using YouTube, personal playlists, and more, too few understand how music licensing works because of the rampant misinformation and market confusion within the industry itself. Hmm. The Apollo case provides the industry with an opening to raise awareness of its processes and alert businesses to legal and compliant ways to provide music experiences for their guests. Yeah, and they go on to say, let the music play legally. Our industry understands that music offers important benefits for business. Absolutely, right? It creates a unique atmosphere, influences customer behavior, motivates sales, and enhances the brand experiences, 100%. In fact, according to Luminate's U.S. Music 360 study, 33% of U.S. consumers aged 13 and over stated that they discovered music by hearing it in business and public spaces, which doubles down on the essential creative value of musicians, writers, and production artists. And like any industry asset or value, it doesn't come for free. 
It does not. Every track must be accounted for, legal and fully licensed for business and commercial use. It's our collective responsibility to help ensure that the creators and rights holders of music used to enhance brand and commerce experiences are properly remunerated. If copyrighted music is performed in public or common areas, regardless of the method, the business must obtain permission from the copyright owner. Individual PRO licenses provide copyright permission to specifically play the catalog the license represents. Yeah, that's why services that that can uh, provide a license representing a full catalog of music, like Soundtrack, your brand, can be the best protection against illegal use. Some businesses may also require a license for live music, but this alone is not a catch-all or cover YouTube for karaoke, as in the case of Apollo, or other instances where businesses play overhead music for their patrons that cannot be streamed via personal music accounts or consumer DSPs. No. So this, the next heading is the high cost of doing nothing. When confusion comes from within our industry, we must collectively shoulder the burden of educating businesses and creating a path to compliant relationships with our product. The majority of business owners don't believe they will hit the headlines for playing their personal streaming service so they, can, so they hedge their bets against the risk. With 3.8 million businesses in the U.S., we have a responsibility to inform and educate on proper use, rampant music misuse, loss of income for music creators and rights holders, and the potential fines they face. Yeah, the bottom line is the costs and the misuses, they're staggering. The amount that a business can be fined for not having a proper ASCAP or BMA, uh, BMI license can vary on the case, but copyright infringement can range from a few thousand dollars to several hundred thousand dollars, depending on the severity of the infringement and whether the infringement was willful or not. Beyond the fines, businesses could also be required to pay damages to the copyright holders for any losses incurred because of the infringement. Right. So over and over again, legal cases prove that infringement and misuse can add up to millions and it crosses industries from bars and restaurants to coffee shops and retail. In 2023, a Topeka, Kansas bar and a San Francisco nightclub were ordered to pay up to $30,000 in damages per infringement for playing copyrighted music without a license. The cases continue to proliferate an industry-wide educational campaign on misuse and what happens to serial infringers has the potential to be more effective than finding those who are not compliant among our 3.8 million businesses. Yeah, so how do we protect our industry? Uh, Soundtrack Your Brand and other B2B and background music services offer different value than DSP and ad-based services. For those who properly comply with the music copyright law, we are equally challenged by the rampant misuse by consumer DSP and ad-based services such as YouTube or Pandora's consumer service, uh, currently used by 78% of businesses who play music from their personal music accounts, uh, while it seems the industry turns a blind eye. How about the pot, the power of clarity, hospitality, restaurants, retailers, and other businesses are all misusing music because we as an industry aren't providing clarity on what they can or can't do. Some PROs have provided inaccurate information as they seek to solely collect on the share of their catalog, exacerbating the misuse. 
Uh, it's not surprising that businesses expect their commercial and personal music service to provide a similar experience and selection of music in order to create the experience that consumers and businesses have become accustomed to in terms of being able to play what they want, when they want from a vast catalog of music of over a hundred million tracks. Um, Soundtrack your brand secured over 16,000 uh, direct licenses with labels and publishers globally. So today, artists and creators are losing money because of the lack of education and clarity around the use of music in business and commercial spaces. If we allow misuse to continue at this level, we diminish the value of music globally. 2024 doesn't have to see another $1.38 billion loss if we can come together as an industry and bring clarity to business and commercial music users globally. Yeah. But you know, I mean, Jay, this is one thing that I think so many people don't understand. Yeah. yeah. And you see it all the time. And this is really also something that kind of I started noticing, you know, in the age of the iPod, when suddenly people were walking around with their catalogs of music. And, you know, let's say they're a restaurant owner or they have a little shop someplace. They're like, I'm just going to plug this into the to a small PA system mm-hmm. and just play music all the time. And it's like... You know, you can't do that. I mean, yeah. you can do that, but you can't do that. And, and ignorance uh, of the law is no excuse. And no. I will tell you that my my brother opened a uh, an establishment in Seattle years ago, mm-hmm. and he licensed the music um, so he could play the the kind of music he wanted uh, for his bar. So um, if you're going to you know make money um, off of music, then you need to pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's have, let's do our last story, Jay, also from the New York Times. Uh, USC Annenberg's report on women's gains in the music industry. Yeah, the percentage of women artists on the Billboard Hot 100 year-end charts reached 35% in 2023, and that's a 12-year high according to USC Annenberg study. And this report, um, it's in your morning coffee. You should take a look at the report because it's one of those that you and I rave about because it's got all these beautiful charts and graphs that you can tell at a glance sort of where things are going. Mm -hmm. And it really helps to wrap your head around what they're talking about. Yes, and as father of daughters, you and I are particularly sensitive or aware of this situation. So Billboard had a great overview uh, of the report by Katie Bain. Uh, one of the things that that really jumped out was the number of women songwriters increased from 14.1% in 2022 to almost 20% in 2023. That's Very amazing, right? And they even looked at record producers, you know, 14 or about 6.5%. So 14 of the producers credited in 2023 were women. This surpassed the previous record of nearly 5% in 2019. Nearly half or or six of the women producers in 2023 were women of color. But over the nine years the study has assessed gender equality in production, 94% of the evaluated songs did not include a single woman producer, 94%. That's across nine years. There have been almost 30 men to every one woman working as a record producer. So the study also assessed the six major Grammy categories, Record of the Year, Album of the Year, Song of the Year, Best New Artist, Producer of the Year, and Songwriter of the Year. The study found that nearly a quarter of nominations across these six categories went to women in 2024, a jump from 15.5% in 2023. This overall change was reflected in four categories, Record of the Year, Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best New Artist. 
This year, nominees in these categories include Taylor Swift, Victoria Monet, SZA, Millie Cyrus, Boy Genius, Billie Eilish, and Olivia Rodrigo. In each of these categories, the percentage of women nominees increased significantly from 2023 to 2024 and from the first year the awards were evaluated back in 2013. Interesting. There were some other key findings um, I'd like to touch on. In 2023... 164 artists appeared on the Hot 100 Billboard year-end chart. Of those 164 artists, 64, almost 65% were men, and about 35% were women, and about 0.6% were gender non-binary. Across the 12-year sample, women artists were the most likely to work in pop, almost 35%, and least likely in alternative, about 14.4%, and hip-hop, also about 15%. Across those 12 years, Drake had the most credits as a solo artist, appearing 52 times, double that of Justin Bieber, who appeared on 25 songs. Nicki Minaj was the woman with the highest number of credits, appearing 25 times, while Ariana Grande followed right behind with 23 songs and then Rihanna with 22 songs. The percentage of underrepresented women on the charts in 2023 was 65%, with the number the same as 2022 and almost doubling since 2012, when it was 33.3%. Put differently, the study says women of color continue to dominate the charts. Nice. In terms of genre across 12 years, women were most likely to write pop, about 20%, and dance electronic, almost 20%, uh, of those songs, and least likely to write hip-hop, rap, and country. Even in pop music, when uh, women songwriters were appearing most often, they were outnumbered by male songwriters, a ratio of four to one. So, you know, what I'm taking from this USC Annenberg study is that there are gains for mm-hmm. women, there are gains for women of color, but it's there's still a lot of work left to to go. Absolutely. We've come a long way, but there's a long way to go. So, but encouraging, you know, it's really encouraging. And I certainly see that, you know, just in in my dealing with students and professionally, you see just a lot more women doing all the things that historically were kind of dominated by males. So I'm very pleased to see that. Yeah. And I can just say anecdotally, um, you know, when I spoke at uh, Colorado State this last week, um, there were a lot of female students. It was definitely not a male dominated uh, class. Excellent. All good stuff. And on that note, we're going to wrap up the episode. We do want to thank Banzugo Hypebot, Bands in Town and the Music Business Association. Darn it. We really appreciate those all. We sure do. So on that note, Jane, I say thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.